we're talking about Ronin, a 1998 American action thriller film directed by John Frankenheimer. I wanna get you off, well ain't that enough, I'm gonna have to sail down my ivory tower, by myself a jaguar, I'm a Ronan, um, I, th- I have a feeling Sean and I have talked about this a lot as teenagers, so I, I, it's kind of been a staple of our lives for a while. But um, Kleena, when did you first hear about Ronan? I think I first heard about it when you two were talking about it, or possibly even quoting it. Yeah, no, that's that's probably. What is the color of the boat house in Hereford? Yeah, that, that was probably something. Probably we... something you asked me. <laughs> yes. And I let you down, just like Sean Bean. Yeah. Uh, no, this was, you know, a film that I similarly, I like, I heard about because it, it had apparently these, these really incredible car chases and stuff. And I think I saw it as a teenager, probably, I can't remember, around the time, you know, you and I were getting kind of into films, Sean. So, and, and this really did stick out as a, just a really solid, fun action film and full of great quotes and a really good cast and not, you know, massively deep or anything, but really well made and then sort of functional or something and i always i really do like films like that when they're when they're as well made as this one yeah i think it's for a teenage boy you think you're being a bit sophisticated watching this because it starts off quite very slow paced and uh it's almost hitchcockian at the start and it's kind of mystery and then it, you know it, it's an action movie but it's kind of a sophisticated action movie yeah uh, maybe maybe at the time 98 uh, it was maybe a bit more standard, but I think it's quite sophisticated for, you know, considering now as well. No, I'd agree. I think it's it's sort of rare because um, it's a kind of character-driven action film. Like, it's, it's all about characters. You know, it sort of sets them up. Um, it ties them to specific backgrounds, specific countries, uh, including two from Ireland, which we'll get to in a minute. But it's very interesting in its sort of, like, cast of characters and, it, it, you know, that it focuses on them. It's not just... You know, like a lot of these action films from the air, which are very star driven and kind of like, well, you know, Bruce Willis doing whatever, you know, it's 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 actually kind of like, no, 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 we're going to spend a lot of time setting things up for each character, including the ways they interact with each other and and kind of tell a little bit of a story. Now, as you say, John, it's also quite silly because it opens with like this silly quote about like samurai and Ronin and where the name comes from and. And all these these stateless actors and assassins wandering around. But uh, what did you think, Lena? Like you you were watching it kind of cold, having heard about it from two idiots for so long. Did you like it? I I'm surprised we're doing it for the podcast. I wouldn't describe it as an Irish film. Um, I suppose there's enough there to have a discussion. Just what you said about stars. I suppose not a huge action movie star in the sense of Tom Cruise or Bruce Willis is in this film, but I do think the cast are all very famous. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Sean Bean and Stellan Skarsgård probably could become much more famous yeah, maybe. as the film came out. And the big star was obviously Robert De Niro, but uh, yeah, Jean Reno is well known and um, Jonathan Price is Seamus. They would have all been, been well known. Definitely took me... 15 to 20 minutes to get my bearings with the characters because um, I don't know the name of the actress from the Truman Show who was kind of leading the team but her accent was so bad at the beginning that I didn't understand she was meant to be Irish Um, (laughs) and then I was confused if her accent is that bad and she's Irish are they all meant to be Irish (laughs) was De Niro just allowed to do his American accent and you know it's not quite as bad as hers so it's just allowed uh, and then, you know, as the film went on, I realized, oh, she's the IRA and they're trying to get, you know, arms and stuff. Yeah. And these are all just hired hands. Yeah. And that kind of made it more interesting and I could kind of relax. 
No, that's exactly the plot. It's, you know, there's not a whole lot there in terms of plot. It's literally the IRA that's headed by um, Seamus O'Rourke, who's played by Jonathan Price, and uh, Deirdre, uh, who's played by Natasha, Natasha McElhone, hire a sort of group of mercenaries um, to steal a, a, a case. And you never really find out what's in the case. You, you're, they're never told. They ask a lot about what's in it, but you never find out. It's just something they need to get. It's, you know, an obvious MacGuffin, like the, uh, the Hitchcock thing. But it's something that drives the, the plot forward. It's just a bunch of people constantly killing each other, backstabbing each other, racing cars into each other to try and get this suitcase. But the whole thing is sort of instigated and, and overseen by these two Irish characters. And I thought that was the part of the film that I'll admit it's not a complete, it's not an Irish film, but it does have um, these two characters uh, central to it. But the other thing I thought was interesting and we'll, we'll get to is the end where it, it ties its setting and place and the events very specifically to a, a key moment in Irish history with, um, but we'll get to that at the end. What did, but what about you, Sean? You're watching this again. Is this the like fourth or fifth time you've seen it? I think Ronan is just it's just part of who I am. You know, it's just one of those movies that's in my blood. It really is. It's you know, I watched it as a as a as a child basically, and I remember the opening sequence where they're talking about like uh, you know, before in medieval times there were samurai who lost their masters, you know? Yeah. And I think I was and then the things like they were called such men were called and I said mercenaries. <laughs> it was clever. Because, you know, like, I know the word mercenaries. Yeah. And then I was like, Ronan. It's like, fuck you for showing off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so the movie's always been there. So when I was watching when I was eight or nine years old with my dad, um, yeah, it's it's like, it's a, it's a movie that you can watch with your dad. And because it's both sophisticated and silly, uh, it's, it, it is, watching it again now, it is so, so violent. It's, it's a really, ridiculous. Really violent movie. Yeah, it's, it is ridiculous. Even that it's so beautifully shot with all these amazing French cities as locations. And then there's a sequence where one of the characters has to remove a bullet from his side. And as they introduce us to the, the kind of homemade operating table, they have a little, you know, silver circular handheld mirror kind of thing that people would use for shaving. Mm. And then for the entirety of taking out the bullet, they make sure the mirror is on the wound. Yeah. So we can see everyone working and everyone in pain, but we can also watch the disgusting wound but um the director actually john frankenheimer he was very well known for making a sort of series of um relatively successful films in the 1960s and 1970s birdman of alcatraz and the train with burt lancaster and then more like action um sort of orientated ones like the manchurian candidate and the french connection too and Grand Prix, some of them not so great, you know, some of them very technically impressive, like Grand Prix, which I've seen, but um, this was a bit of a comeback, you know, he'd been making some crap, he'd, been, he'd made that uh, Marlon Brando, Dr. Moreau film, and... Uh, you, you can't direct me, you can't direct me, I'm not Mrs. Biggie. That's, that's not a bad, that's not a bad Brando, and then, yeah, came into this, which is sort of much more sleek and effective, and just so so kind of well plotted but as you said very john tough. very tough yeah but and it's it's only two hours it feels much longer because the series it, it's just a series of film chases like when we were watching it cleaner i mean you were saying like now what like they've just lost the case again you know it's like three or four car it was, chases it was when they went to go get the arms i just thought this film is so exciting yeah um and the fact that Sean Bean's character was so nervous was making me yeah. nervous and i thought this is actually much more realistic sort of drop-off type scene than you see in most films because of course they're nervous and of course they don't really know what's going to happen and you learn later it's because Sean Bean is a bit of a spoofer and he's actually you know a total amateur but it makes you just feel so worried something terrible is going to happen the way he acts yeah um, I, I really I really like the, the Sean Bean bits and well De Niro is so unflappable in this movie he's like Mr. Unflappable mm. uh uh, and so the Sean Bean thing is like we are Sean Bean for a while you know that, and you're kind of yeah. taken along with him and it's like got the money good job well done job well done prosperity jam prosperity jam he's very funny and then I think uh, the movie when you, we actually kind of sad to see him go because he, he turns yeah. into such a doofus yeah but I think his doofusness is key because 
you know, it's a distraction. It's a distraction from, from you know, Stellan Skarsgård catching that cup. Yeah, and it's also good because it's all showing how ridiculously superhuman Robert De Niro is. You know, putting the coffee cup down and like setting the little trap for him, and then just you know constantly coming up with these little ideas that all of them work. You know, right from the very start. There's a really like the, the film opens with him hiding, and it's such a rare thing in films to hide a gun. And then not use it. You know, it's the opposite of the Chekhov gun. You watch him sneaking into a meat. He hides a gun. You're going to like, he's going to escape and kill them all. Nope. And then on the way out, he just picks it up. And someone says, what, what are you doing with that? And he's like, I always like to know my, my way out or something. But then, but then there's like this, the moment that proves the movie is just nonsense. Where he, he sa- says, him like, listen, lady, I don't go in somewhere where I don't know my way out. And then she's like, get in the van. <laughs> he's like, yes. Get in the van. It's like, why are you getting the van? And he says, you know, the reason. Yeah. There's a, a bunch of scenes oh. like that that don't make much sense. There's a bit later where Deirdre and Robert De Niro like spend the day pretending to be husband and wife in order to get like a series of candid shots to be like, yeah, no, he's got bodyguards. Yeah, we've got <laughs> 10 bodyguards. No, I thought that was to see, you know, how they're kind of doing a recce to see how good the bodyguards are yeah that's true that's true i thought that bit was good what i thought was way more forced was the the romance oh yeah Oof. yeah well that was just tacked on wasn't it yeah, yeah 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 before we discuss the romance i should say that the most ridiculous moment is when they find out that um uh gregor is in arles like a city arles, called arles, yeah. or if you pronounce it yeah. arles yeah and then they're just kind of hanging around the amphitheater, you know? And then uh, Jean Reno, Vincent, says, uh, I know those guys. And he spots the Russians. Oh, yeah. And start following the Russians. He knows them and from Vienna. Where it's like, yeah, I'll just, I know those guys over there but from Vienna. That's part of it, I think. Because, like, the whole thing is they, they do that a few times where, you know, Gregor is like, hey, I know you. And the Russian is like, yeah, do you remember, like, we used to torture people behind the wall back in the day together. And he was like, oh, yeah. You know, everyone, like, even there's a really great scene at the start where Sean Bean says to, to Robert De Niro, don't I know you? And De Niro says, no, I don't think you do. And I always thought, like, Sean Bean probably does know him, but is too much of an idiot to be like, he was in that CIA team, you know, a few years ago. And that's why Robert De Niro decides to almost, like, force him out because, you know, he's, 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 he's seen him before somewhere. Oh, I didn't think of that. No, that's not the I thought it was because he's incompetent. He's an amateur. Yeah. He is an amateur, but, you know, he's... <laughs> Like, it's, he forces him out and then spends the rest of the film being like, we need more guys, you know, we need someone to, to stand at this post and, like, distract the cops it, or something. But he was a liability. It's ridiculous when, you know, they, they do take out the whole gang of people with, like, two of them, basically. Yeah, yeah. It's when De Niro's in the top of a, a BMW holding the rocket launcher and you're like, he's, he's going to break his hip. Like, he's all over the place. There's a bit where Stellan Skarsgård is trying to escape from De Niro uh, in Arl, and he essentially jumps halfway down a set of steps oh, yeah. with a load of tourists. And I remember thinking, no, De Niro <laughs> cannot do that. Yeah, he'll break his ankle. Yeah, it's it, not as, quite as bad as the Irishman, where he, no. the, the part where he kicks the guy and puts him through the glass. Remember I, that part in the Irishman? Yeah, it's it was... so extreme in the Irishman; it almost comes full circle and becomes a charming part yeah. of the performance. Yeah. It's like that bit in, in Goodfellas where he's like, he couldn't have been more than 25 years old and De Niro walks in and you're just like, I'm just going to go with this. This is fine. Yeah, I got boot polish. He, he does boot polish stuff for a long time. Yeah. It does, um, it really does emphasize the, the romance though between Deirdre. Like, it does, he does look like her dad. You know, he does look far too, far too old. No, I believe well, I the think... age difference in terms of Hollywood and in terms of this CIA man and this IRA woman, it's more... It just, it's not remotely earned or something. Yeah. I in also felt like Irishness, we've... I do feel, I do feel great the fact that like, like, so there's the Russians and the Irish and you know, Russia's a big place. Yeah. And the fact that we're on equal standing. Well, like, is, Gre- is Gregor going to go to the Russians or are you going to go to the Irish? <laughs> you can't go to the Irish. You can't go to the Irish. like, yeah, fuck right. Our, our Irish mob are just as important as the Russian mob. That's literally why I wanted to talk about this film because it's sort of, um, one of a, a, a trend that, um, has gone like started in really in the 90s but for so many like years the ira kind of occupied this sort of strange position in pop culture where they were often like almost heroic like we've seen some of the other films like the devil's own where 
you maybe aren't like an outright hero, but you have a sim very sympathetic character who's swept up in the violence and the movement and everything. Versus a film like this, or a film like Patriot Games with Harrison Ford, again with Sean Bean, and where the IRA is just an outright villain, you know, and they're just slaughtering people and they're shooting little kids and they're, they're killing people. And, and this film is sort of a little bit more interesting than that because for a couple of things we'll probably get into a little bit later on, but to your exact point there, Sean, I like this because, or at least I find it interesting, because the Irish are, you know, pulling the strings. They're not necessarily the main characters, but as part of that character-driven aspect to it. He hasn't just hired two characters and given them Northern Irish accents. He's kind of like really gone into a lot of detail, I think, on saying these are two desperate people. He specifically mentions, you know, Seamus as like the, the bosses back home or after them. And in this post-Cold War, everyone's out for each other. For some reason, yeah, they're, the, the IRA is able to uh, race through Paris and compete with the Russians and we were laughing at the end when, when, you know, they're kind of losing the case. And at that stage, like, the Russians are being killed and the Irish are being killed. And you're thinking, like, who are they going to sell it to if they get this case? And I think, Lena, you were like, the Chinese. You know, they must have enough money. Um, I don't really agree, though, that you really think that the two Irish characters were really well-written and complex? No, I don't think in terms of, like, their motivations or their, like, lines or anything like that directly. I thought the incorporation of the IRA into this film was interesting because especially with the Good Friday yeah. agreement they did at the end well we'll get to that because I'm interested in the timeline of production for this film that they yeah. included that but no it races along and I think that incorporating like actually foreign actors and so much of it is in French as well and even actors like Michael Lonsdale, who performs the surgery you were talking about, Kleena, and Sean Bean, who's not doing an accent. He's just playing a sort of like man from Northern England who mm. pretends to be a squatty. And uh, Jean Reno, then, of course, is Vincent, who is French himself. It's, it's a very beautiful film. He uses depth of field a lot, John Frankenheimer, which means he, he tries to keep everything in the shot in focus at once. So mm. it's not like blurred. You get so much more color. You get so much more range and everything. And then he clearly is a big fan of, of shooting actual cars smashing into each other and bullets exploding and doesn't like those like boring things like slow motion and gunfights and stuff. You mentioned, Sean, it's an incredibly violent film. Like every single gunfight, it seems like 10 civilians are wiped out, you know, and they, it, the camera really does show people exploding and, and blood, you know, who are just like out buying their vegetables or getting a tour of the amphitheater. It's really, really, really violent. You know, I just thought of something, which is what you were saying about uh, Sean Bean is in the crew and Robert De Niro gets him kicked out. And your theory was this was because Sean Bean may have recognized him from some scenario where he was openly in the CIA. Sure. And he's undercover in the film. Um, and Sean and I thought, actually, he just got rid of him because he was incompetent and he needed the job to go well for various reasons. But I'm just thinking... Um, do you remember when they get rid of Sean Bean, he's speaking to Deirdre and he's saying, we don't have enough men, call in reinforcements. And she says, I can't, this is the job, this is it, this mm. is the brief. And he goes, ask your higher up, call in a favor, you know, and he keeps yeah. at her to ask her superior for more men. Yeah. And she keeps saying, there is no superior. And I actually think I said to you, does he not understand how the IRA works? Yeah. Because... You know, the army was obviously sort of structured in such a way that you never really knew too far up the career ladder yeah. so that if anyone gets caught, you can't actually tell on everyone. Um, but of course, maybe he was doing that because he was after the boss. Yes, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, it is also a film, we should say, of like, even though it is kind of cool to see all these like internet, it's like Eurovision, you know, you have Stellan Skarsgård, you have Jean Renault, but then you know, the Russians are really into ice skating and he's wearing, like, the gold chain and, like, you know, sipping vodka and in a big they bully hat. They are such <laughs> enjoyable villains. I just don't know if the Irish measure up, That's you know? true. Yeah, that is true. They were much more fun, I found, as villains, the Russians. I couldn't believe it when the Russian um, is kind of confronted. He's about to buy the package that everyone in the film is, is chasing each other for. And the traitor who's gone to sell the package to the Russians says... If you put me in danger, if you don't let me away with my money, I've got a sniper on standby to kill your beloved girlfriend who's this ice skating star who's in the middle of her show. Yeah. And you fully expect him 
to back down. It's set up in such a way. It's such, I anyway was so surprised when instead he just shoots Stellan Skarsgård in the head and lets his girlfriend and this beautiful, sensational ice skater die. In front of like 4,000 people who have paid tickets to see her yeah. as well. It's brutal. Brutal stuff. And we've all been to that... Um, we have. Do you, that venue. Do you remember... Did you recognise the venue, Sean, watching it? Yeah, Marilyn Manson. Me and Sean. 2003... When was it we were there? 2005, 6? Yeah, I don't five. know. Maybe a bit later. But yeah, me and Sean saw Marilyn Manson there. I think he proposed to his then-girlfriend at the time. His ward. His, yeah, there's some dodgy stuff came out about that, so... But anyway, um, they were just better villains than us. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say us. I shouldn't be associating us. <laughs> with us, the Irish. I know what you mean, though, because there is a sort of like, you know, um, again, Stellan Skarsgård, he sort of so underestimates the, uh, the Russians, you know, and their capacity for just like, no, 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 you're not going to screw us over. We would rather just, you know, shoot you than, than you be able to kill this girl versus the Irish. Because he, he seems to, like, you know, be with the Irish for, like, four days. They're living in a hotel, you know. Even when they get the package and they're coming from the post office, you have to wonder, like, why does he not just grab the package and, like, shoot Stellan's guards guard? You know, why are they, like, going yeah. back to the... I was like, get in the car, Stellan. Yeah. Why, why is Stellan's in the car? And then no. they're in the car, like, a full car chase, you know, and Stellan's in the front seat, you know, and he's putting a seatbelt on. You're like, no, no, no. Yeah, what, what? I love the one where he puts a seatbelt on. It's like, well, we've been, we've been in this car chase for five minutes, and now it's stuff's getting serious. <laughs> but that's <laughs> such a good shot, because it's a five-minute-long car chase, and just when you're like, okay, I'm kind of getting sick of this, the car drives on the wrong side of the road. And it's that point where Stellan goes like, you know what? Now I'm going to put my seatbelt on. There, there, there is a, a jarring moment though. So it's, it's kind of, there's no music. It's just the sound of the engines. And then when it gets to the really dramatic parts on the, the bridge and the car gets knocked over the bridge, they have this kind of cut to music. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. No, the music was very 90s. We did say that. It was very like kind of, you know, it had the, the harps and the like the um, long, slow, slow uh, oboe or something. And, very 90s feel. Um, Ilya Simiro did the music, uh, who is a Czech composer. All right. What's the adjective you use for a Czech person then? Is it still Czech? Or... I think so. Okay. Great. Um, so talk about the casting. So the two Irish characters. So Jonathan Price plays Seamus, and Jonathan Price is a... Welsh Seamus. actor. Welsh, Welsh actor. And then the... Natasha, what's her second name? Natasha McElhone, I think is her name. Oh, and where is she from? She's also she's English. Okay. What um, else was she in? What other movies was she in? The Truman Show. Same year as this, she was in the Truman Show. She was the man uh, that Truman fell in love with. Woman. And what woman. else? <laughs> woman, what even. Else, uh... I don't know, actually. What else is she in? She's in. Um, I think she was in Californication. That was her other big role. The Devil's Own. Uh, yeah, she was in The Devil's Own as well, the, the Brad Pitt one. I can't really remember her in that. Maybe she was... Says she but played she, Megan Doherty in that. Do you... I think she's incredibly... She's incredibly beautiful. Yeah, she looks amazing in this movie. And she does have that kind of elfin kind of look that, for some reason, people associate with Irish women. Um... What do you think, Lena? Do you think, she, do you think she looks Irish, or do you think... I think she looked Irish until she opened her mouth. Yeah. But, you know, with that said, the accent did get better. Well, according to the commentary in the film, and it's funny you should mention this, Lena, because when, when we were watching it, you were thrown by her accent immediately, but as the film went on, you were saying it became like less noticeable, which is the first time we've had an accent... And I might just play our accent intro here, actually, because we are talking about the accents, so I'll play the intro. What goes on in this town is none of your business. As long as I'm living here, it is. Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Sorry, so yeah, you were saying, Kleena, that the accents seemed to get better as the film went on. Well, I was curious if the film was more or less shot chronologically and she'd had a bit of time to practice. Apparently that's the case. And apparently Frankenheimer heard her accent... And just was like, great news. We're going to have an on-set dialect coach. And he's going to tell you exactly <laughs> how you should say this. And you will say it like him. And that's what happened. And it worked really well. 
But he says that in the commentary at a certain point. He's like, ah, we actually had to bring on an onset dialect. Yeah. He's very nice about it. He says the Northern Irish accent, particularly the Derry accent, is an incredibly hard one to do. Yeah. Um, and that said, I think by that point when Jonathan Price shows up, he, he I didn't think his accent was great either. No. But he, he gets the now right. He, he gets like, I want you to do it. Nah. Yeah, that's true. He, he's right. scary okay. about that. But you yeah. know they're bad when they can't, when they only have one word lines and they get it wrong. Like when Jonathan Price goes drive, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. Like, yeah. There's not know. that many syllables. Drive. <laughs> drive, drive, drive. I might just play a quick clip. Actually, um, this is both Natasha McAlone and Jonathan Price uh, as they're sort of talking about what to do next. I gave you a job. I did my job. How'd it go wrong? I thought what you wanted was the kiss. Oh, we'll get the kiss. Huh? We'll get the kiss, eh, Gregor? Don't you worry about the kiss. What I want's an explanation. An explanation? For what? You bollocks it up. I bollocked it up. You hired them. Through your fucking contact. Why did you have to kill Larry? Kill Larry, is it? I was clearing up your mess. My mess? Oh, well, you take over then. Eh? But you can't, can you? It's you that's hiding, isn't it, Seamus? It's you that can't show your face. Who else thinks that? Who you been talking to? Isn't that the reason why I'm doing this job? You're a good girl, Deidre. It's the part where they're like torturing Stellan, and I remember thinking it was so stupid because he's like punching him, you know, punch, 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 and then like three punches, and he leaves him in there, and he goes and argues really loudly with her. He doesn't even lock the door. I know. It's just like in a bathroom. I was thinking this guy has proven himself to be very cunning. Do you really want to leave him there? He could take the cistern and break it over your head. He 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 just like was like I'm gonna kill a child just as a precaution, (laughs) you know, just for. Silly, there's awfully silly moments like that. It's, oh, it is it's it's great, though. though. Because he dresses like a geography teacher, which is so disarming. Yeah, I think he's the tech guy. It's again part of how cunning he is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he, when I watched this movie first, I thought he was really old. He must have been like in his early 30s in this movie, or maybe his late 20s. He's playing a bit older. I think the glasses and the way he dresses makes him look older. It's he, funny you should yeah. talk about his clothes because when he first arrived in the sort of uh, HQ at the beginning I thought who's this guy is he the uh, like an accountant why is he here <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But he, he counts all the money yeah but I think that's it and that's why when De Niro you know accidentally on purpose drops the coffee cup and sees him pick it up he's like oh right you're you're you probably don't even need those glasses you're just dressed as a nerd yeah that's he's... another ridiculous thing so when De Niro as you said Kleena jumps on him from like you know two stories and lands on him like how do his glasses not fall off his head <laughs> I think there's actually a scene where you see the glasses actually like fall off the stunt guy's head yeah. you know because he's been like you know jumped around and then like the next scene he has the glasses on his on his head it just Stellan Skarsgård is going to turn 70 next year so if this was, was 22 years ago he was in his 40s yeah 47 he actually looked great then well he looked like a normal 47 year old Consid- is he really 70 handsome I mean, when I saw him in uh Chernobyl, um, the, the TV series. Yeah. Not the place. Uh, he, he just looks so great in that. He, he does. Made out of alabaster. But he, mm-hmm. he's, he's in a wig in that and he's in under um, lots of makeup. He's in a nose as well, yeah. isn't he? Lots of makeup. He, I liked yeah. the, uh, the other guy, you know? Like, you have this, like, range Larry. of international, like, actors and fantastic characters. And then you just got Larry, the driver, <laughs> who's just happy to be there. Uh, I like his punch. I like the way he's the cook, and he has a bit of a punch. It's it's great. Yeah. He's always eating. Yeah. Was Larry like a local guy who won like a raffle to be in the movie? Uh, he'd been in one of Frankenheimer's previous films, and apparently was a really good driver. And Frankenheimer just got the sense that he needed someone to do some of the stunts, and um, so he 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 liked this guy because he he thought he could drive really well. So maybe maybe that was it. Maybe he was Frankenheimer's driver, and then one day he gets a. He gets a role. 
But yeah, linking it back then to, because we've talked about the accents, um, the script for this is kind of interesting because the script had been around for a while. Uh, this guy, John David Zeke, who's known as J.D. Zeke, I think, in the, uh, in the credits, he had written it and said it had sort of come to him in pieces. He'd read about, like, samurai when he was a teenager and he thought this was cool. And then he was thinking with the end of the Cold War, you'd have all these, like, stateless assassins and former government agents who are going into business for their own and you could do, like, a... A combination, you know, like uh, sort of alluding to all that. Um, and he started writing it, I think he sort of said he started writing it when he was like 15 in, in, in high school or something. Oh, but um, then he started like adding things as he, as he wrote it. Uh, like he, he'd been in holiday in, in France and apparently saw a bunch of armed policemen walking across a bridge. And, and if you've ever been to France, you know, the French policemen do tend to be really kind of scary looking with all their guns and, and kit and everything. Uh, so we thought, you know, we should set the film in France. It's this perfect staging ground for all these other, um, you know, the, these people to arrive in in, in, 99, in the late 1990s. And at the same time, there's a little bit of controversy then because Frankenheimer read the script. He'd lived in Paris for years and years and thought it was great and saw it as a chance to like go back to the kind of films he was making in the 70s. Um, connection three. Yeah, and uh, exactly, mm -hmm. and he didn't apparently love some of the dialogue. Which this was the guy's first screenplay, you know. He hasn't actually written a whole lot else, so he hires the uh, playwright David Mamet, um, and apparently that was one of the things that got De Niro on board. That they De Niro was like, "Well, I want this guy to do my dialogue. I want him to punch it up." <laughs> Um, and it was Mamet who did a lot of the things that we were just saying weren't great, like adding the, the love interest, you know, the idea that like the Deirdre character and De Niro would, would start kissing during missions and stuff like that. And then there was a big controversy because there was a feeling that um, Zeke's script was kind of then being kind of thrown out a little bit. Apparently that wasn't the case. That was just what the trades reported at the time. But David Mamet then got annoyed because he had been promised that the credits would be something like story by J.D. Zeke, screenplay by David Mamet. And once he found out that that wasn't the case and they were still going to be like, you know, a screenplay by David Mamet and J.D. Zeke or something like that, he said, no, take my name off of it. Because he'd already written it and done everything. He ended up being credited as Richard Weiss um, instead. So he just made up a name in order to do it. Um, and it was Frankenheimer afterwards who then like clarified all this and said, actually, no, it was, he didn't like David Mamet didn't add as much as people thought. He kind of added a lot of little De Niro dialogue and De Niro and Jean Reno for so much of it talking like little malaparisms or something. They talk in like, you know, cliches. It's like, Hey, what do you want for Christmas? My two front teeth. You know, none of it makes sense yeah. with uh, what they're actually doing. It just seems to be like, here's something meaningless. And the guy gives it back to him, you know? Well, he shouldn't have been so vain then. He shouldn't. Can we talk a little... Sorry, you go, Sean. No, please, Lena. I was just going to say, I'd kind of like to talk... Maybe we should sort of reveal what happens in the end, because I'd kind of like to talk about the idea of the Ronan theme running through the movie, and quite heavy-handedly. Yeah. Well... Do you think it was too heavy-handed to have a, a model? Um, <laughs> right after... <laughs> After the the shots at the, the the sort of text at the beginning yeah. telling us exactly what a Ronin is, yeah. and then we have this <laughs> French man, who very charismatic know. French actor who does little miniature models of battles and explains again to De Niro in detail who the um, the Ronin were. And if we don't get that, even says something like "That is you, no?" and like points at the samurai, you are one of them. <laughs> I love how he shows up in Munich playing the same character, basically. Yeah. Think, you know, explaining to Eric Bana. So you are a uh, kind of uh, mercenary too. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> copyright law says I cannot say the name Ronin, but that is what you are. Like, um, we, need a, we need an older French man who lives in a kind of chateau. I was sold on him. He's good. He's the villain in Moonraker, the guy with the really dark beard. Michael Lonsdale, like that James Bond film. He was also in Day of the Jackal, which is another good assassin film. For, for quite a good scene. I mean, obviously, we didn't really need a second Ronan explanation, but, you know, they're both so charismatic. It was very enjoyable. But for quite an intense scene, it ends really suddenly when he just 
you know, shows De Niro what disemboweling looks like with his paintbrush because he's explaining yeah. to him about how the Japanese warriors would commit suicide out of honour. Um, but what I was going to say is, at the end of the film, we essentially realise that Robert De Niro isn't a mercenary out to f- complete a job to get his paycheck, but he's in fact uh, a CIA agent out to get a key senior player in the IRA and assassinate him or capture him so that the peace process can proceed unhindered back in Ireland. Yeah. So before we get to that, so just press pause on the Irish stuff. How is Robert De Niro a Ronan then? Um, the way I saw it is that it's a lot of like Sean Bean at the start says to Robert De Niro almost about America and like you've lost the last few wars. Your country doesn't know what it's doing anymore. You don't have... You know, you've lost all sense of this self as a country you had after World War Two. And that's part of it that like as you're watching this, and I think especially once it's revealed that he is working still for the CIA, you kind of question like, all right, so you, you, you killed you, you killed so many people like there are so many civilians died just so you can, you know, you're, you're blowing up cars in the south of France. You set up like a, a heist that immediately shoots up a vegetable shop you know it's pretty consistent with what the cia would do in 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 like you know these kind of taking over smaller countries at any cost you're you're taking you're getting something and i thought it's that's kind of it that even if he is still got a master and the master is u.s imperialism it's almost like that country the cold war is over and now america is just wandering through the world looking for a new enemy looking for a new cause but that might all be. I think I think you are really overreading the intelligence <laughs> of this movie. I don't think that's possible, Sean. I don't think that's like I think you can. There's so many layers to this. You can think okay. about it forever. Sean, your turn. Oh, How is Robert it's De Niro Aroni? Yeah, the twist is De Niro was working for the CIA all along. Wow. <laughs> there's there's no there, there's no geopolitical nuance about you know. I is a Ronan. I don't so think that's Je- true is at Je- all. Is Jean Reno the Ronan? Jean Reno, he's just your bog standard Ronan. He's he's always been a Ronan. He's like, presumably was once a, a policeman in a French town and then decided, you know, I'm going to make more money. He's so decent. But I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand his character at all because at the start, he's like just like the guy who gets the things. You know, he's just like the tour guide and he, he gets people things. And then by the end of it, he is, you know, Robert De Niro by two. He's, you know, unflappable. You know, he gets shot twice, yeah. but manages to clamber up to a high rung so he can yeah. shoot Seamus, yeah. like, just at the most opportune moments. Not only that, escape, presumably, 40 policemen. Like, we see him surrounded by 40 policemen. He gets shot while brandishing a gun, and yet, yeah, he's there at the end, like, pops up. It's so, it's so stupid the way he gets shot, because there's, like, this very tense moment, and Jean Renaud goes, of course, excusez-moi, excusez-moi. <laughs> yeah, just, he's too polite. Like any sense what he's doing. He's too polite. He gets shot. Also, uh, as you say, he's just the fixer who gets you anything you want in France yeah. at the beginning. Barely gets an introduction. But then he gets to just do a voiceover at the end, because they don't know how to finish the film. And, and so, in summary... <laughs> Yeah, that was. That and he was... puts his collar up. It's like I will just, uh, uh, you know, pull this off with my Gallic jam. And he puts his collar up and then walks off. It's like, God, this movie is so much of a mess, but it's great. Well, that wasn't the original ending. The ending is a bit of a mess because the originally he wanted Deirdre, Deirdre to be looking at um, De Niro and Jean Renault and make a move towards walking down to them but then would be bundled into a van by the IRA who would call her a traitor and execute her. And they showed this to test audiences who said, no, it was a great film until that point. And then he shot another ending um, where it was sort of actually like showed Deirdre like going and and walking over towards um, Robert De Niro and, and Vincent at the end. But audiences didn't really like that either as it was a little too neat. So I think caught between a rock and a hard place, he just decided like, and so they ended. The best of friends. <laughs> the Ronin. You could say that the real romance is actually between De Niro and Vincent. I exactly. Exactly. The fake Ronin and the real Ronin. Yeah. The way, uh, the way, I mean, I have this theory that, you know, money doesn't actually mean anything in cinema. What means things are cigarettes. 
and the way they start their relationship is like they're smoking together and De Niro's sleeping in his jacket you know when he first wakes up he's like sleeping in all his clothes yeah. also in his jacket I noticed that too and I was wondering was Jean Reno going to make fun of him for sleeping in his yeah. jacket and then I realised oh this is not that no, kind of film it's not that kind of film <laughs> and then the, like Jean, so Jean Reno's kind of watching him sleep is he waking up <laughs> Yeah, that's another one of their um, romance between those two. Their mame platitudes. Yeah, yeah. Then he hired, then he gives him like a cigarette because that, like, of course, that's what you give someone as soon as they wake up in the morning, you know. <laughs> First thing. First thing he gave him after they fixed the bullet wound Breakfast as well was a cigarette. Of champions, a horrible yellow French cigarette. Yeah. Okay. Gitans or something that is it? Gitans. Galois is the brand I thought. So to go back to the conclusion of the film which is that Robert De Niro's aim all along was to get the IRA boss or one of the the senior guys he was working with Sinn Féin it's it's directly revealed over the radio well you hear the French go Sinn Féin yeah that's pretty funny but for such as Sean said a silly all over the place film which is just about like getting the thing and no one knows what the thing is or why they want it they just know they need to get the thing it's got this weird bow tied at the end when a radio broadcast announces that a peace agreement between Sinn Féin and the British government has finally been reached. But specifically, this was uh, able to be done because of this horrible terrorist, Seamus O'Reilly, who was killed in France. And the implication being that the CIA, presumably, Adams. yeah, were being told by Bill Clinton, listen, the only thing on the table that we need to make sure is that this, this Seamus guy dies, you know. Um, or maybe the Good Friday Agreement was in the case. You know, the final text. <laughs> they just well, needed to get I that. What I think as well is, when was this movie released? Because the Good Friday Agreement was in the summer, wasn't it? It was in April, oh, I think. Oh, sorry, April. Okay, so was... they had nine months then to yeah. hack it on. Okay, yeah, so I, I think they probably did literally hack it on. This film was being made, obviously, in like from 1997 on. Yeah. Um, but like the filming started in November 1997, so... It probably makes sense then if Good Friday Agreement was, yeah, 10th of April. They would have all been there making the film and mm. being like, oh, this is good. Hey, why don't we tack this on yeah. as, uh, as a new thing? I'd say this. It, it, it wasn't mentioned in that great book by uh, Patrick Radden Keefe, Say Nothing. The time, you know, where Robert De Niro saved the Good Friday Agreement by <laughs> executing Seamus over in La Zenith in Paris. It wasn't actually, it was Jean Reno who saved the day because, you know. Yeah. That's true, actually, yeah. True. Um, yeah, and I mean, it's sort of undermined, again, the Ronin plot and the idea <laughs> that, um, you know, why do they keep chasing the package? You know, obviously, yeah, they missed out on their paycheck and they've been screwed over on a number of occasions, but why can't they just walk away? You know, these are hardened but, guys who who should know when a situation is dicey to just get out. And then it's kind of as if they present him assassinating Seamus as this... I feel like they're almost trying to make the CIA sort of the means justify the end by saying, but look what happened, a peace yeah. treaty. We didn't, we didn't just know. kill 20 people and blow up a load of French towns. We actually brought peace to the world. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that's... You know the idea of Ronan. It's it's like as you said, it's an idea a fifteen year old has, <laughs> and it sounds really good, and you know you're so intrigued by it. But nothing adds up in the movie. You know it, it's not supposed to add up. I know, and it's end, strange you know? even criticizing it because it. I give yeah. this movie nine out of ten. It was yeah. so good. Yeah. To be clear, it's it doesn't matter that it's stupid and it makes matters. no sense. It's all, incredible. Yeah. It just goes to show if you get charismatic actors and shoot real things, spend heaps of money in yeah. amazing places. You forgive a lot. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I did find the, um, I mean, the, okay, the real love interest is between, you know, Jean Reno and Robert De Niro. That, yes. That's, that's number one. And then, you know, the female character in Robert De Niro, it's when he kisses her and then she kind of gets on top of him in the yeah. car. He was he, such a good kisser. And it's, it's, <laughs> it's like it's implied he can do everything. You know, he's like fixed everything. He's shooting guns he's like arranging for stuff he can track phones and then it's like oh wait we have to pretend to be husband and wife so the police fool us and she's like okay and then after that she's like you know what i'm gonna compromise this mission by continuing to kiss you 
I he mean, compromises it himself by like falling in love with her because he can't. But no, I think the the twist reveals he's a pro. Like he he just wants to get to Seamus, and if he's thinking, oh, she's in love yeah. with me, yeah, this will get me closer to Seamus. But then he does let her go at the end, so he does have some soft spot for her. But then again, as you said, Sean, none of this means anything because <laughs> it's just a stupid film that doesn't doesn't make sense. I do like the way how she gets away so easily. The French guards like, no, you cannot drive. You cannot drive down there. She's like. Yeah. But I'm going to. And I'm like, okay. Well, she is dressed as a security officer in a security car. I thought that was silly as well. But, like, she does drive around and there's such chaos and everything. I didn't mind that so much. Okay, so... It's kind of hard to do our authenticity rating for this film. This film has no intention of being in the real world. It's No, I, as I said, I think it's interesting that this is a film that portrays the IRA as outright villains without setting much more of the context until the very last moments. I always thought that was a very off-putting, a little strange, little... Like, it works kind of with the twist, and it does give you more context, I suppose, to Robert De Niro being in the CIA. But, yeah, having these two characters who are just sort of, like, villains, but not as motivated villains as the Russians, but kind of on the side of the you know heroes for half the film and then ending in blood and gunfights and stuff at the end that's what i thought was interesting the the and we i'd be interested in doing like another film about like the ira as villains we might do that jackie chan one next would you be interested in that the one with pierce brosnan it's called maybe a... we do something a bit different different yeah maybe what is it? it's the, called the, uh, the foreigner i think and it's like the IRA have killed Jackie Chan's daughter and he's going to kill them. He's going to, like, blow them all up. So I think that's it. But yeah, turning... We should say say that this particular pod was spurred into action by Wild Mountain Time. That is true. We trailer of that. So this is appearing in in the wake of that. We've been talking about doing a podcast. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll do another one, we'll do another one. And then the trailer to Wild Mountain Time came out and we all said, no, we have to get this podcast it's like we were activated back together yeah, yeah. our good work is not over it was pretty appalling all right pretty appalling i'm so unimpressed with emily blunt yep it doesn't look it looks it could be like bad good you know good bad you mean yeah good bad i think i think it'll do wonders for our tourist industry so i think it's gonna be great i think all Every Irish person, including us, will enjoy watching it during lockdown and giving out about it. Yeah. If it's if it's out soon. That's true. That is very true. Like, I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah. Okay, why don't we then wrap up Ronan um, with a little bit of a discussion of the film's Irishness. As Hold I said... On. We haven't talked about we haven't talked about the most obvious thing. What? Ronan and Ronan. Yeah, it's, I was wondering. It's funny you should mention that. that. That was my intro to this film in about, like... 1999 I want to say 2000 where I was in Irish primary school and there was a guy called Ronan who claimed that there was a film being made like and it come out about no. like yeah no he was like yeah no that's that's my film like I just you know he was the class clown he was just like and we, at the end of the year when we all wanted to watch Space Jam or something he's like there's a film about me it's called Ronan and people were like would you shut up and he'd be like go to Extravision ask for Ronan they will give you the film <laughs> It's based on my dad, Robert De Niro. I don't really think our our flag works for this, but I mean, I would say not. I would say not too. I think it's interesting, but I think it's a little bit tacked on. I think the accents as we've been through are bad. And I think the fact that they don't get any other motivation other than... And then Robert De Niro saved the peace process and introduced the Good Friday Agreement. Feels a little... Just a little cheap. A little easy. It'd be a bit like trying to assess how... I'm going to open a can of worms here. Be like trying to assess how German Hans Gruber is. I think you can do that. I mean, like that's there's probably a bunch of German no, no, lads. No, there is a moment in Die Hard where uh, Hans Gruber, you know, Alan Rickman says uh, to one of the German mercenaries, says, shoot dann Fenster. And he tries to speak German. And you can actually see the German actors like, what the fuck are you saying? <laughs> I thought the... Fenster. And it's like, Shooting, shooting the man. It's, it's so it's so fantastic. Shooting the Bruce Willis. This is also a Christmas movie. We should say this. This is a Christmas movie. Ronan. Why is Ronan yeah. a Christmas movie? I don't think that it is. 
It takes place at Christmas. It definitely does not. Why do you think that? Because <laughs> Jean Renault says, what do you want for Christmas? And then <laughs> says, my two front teeth. And then there's a scene. They're on a, a beach scene. in the sun with no snow or Christmas then decorations or anything else around them. Then there's a scene. Then there's a scene in the square in Nice where they're singing Christmas songs. I thought that was just Noel. a. I thought that was just a church choir singing songs. No, they're singing Christmas songs. Interesting. Again, I would imagine that's the kind of thing where even though they shot it at summer, they'd be like, "Oh yeah, no, um, it's set at Christmas," and we'd be like, "But there's 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 no setting at Christmas. You literally just inserted one line and be like, no, no, it's set at Christmas. No, no, this saved the Good Friday Agreement. No, no, they're actually all Ronan. <laughs> but at a certain point, as you say, who cares? Because another character is coming up exactly exactly i didn't I, so i just want to go on and on, on say when larry was like slid from ear to ear i thought <laughs> that was just so needless i know it was so violent <laughs> to the point where even deirdre was like to seamus why did you do that what why, what was the point of killing our best driver and he's just like never mind that and his hands are like covered in blood you know his coat is ruined no, but she says, why did you do it to Larry? And he says, Larry is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, 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 it's a nice, I think this is probably De Niro's best kind of where he plays an action hero kind of movie. I can't think of another one that's as good as this. No, I, I think like it's, it's very, yeah, it's very action-y and it's, it's very good. And from this point on, it just gets worse in terms of De Niro. You think? Yeah, I think like, he just there's not as many hits. It's much more miss. Meet after. the parents. Yeah, no, like his comedies, and he does. The he, he's man. definitely done a few great films, you know, since then. I just mean they, that this after this was the point where he starts seeing like City by the Sea. Sure. Oh, there's a serial killer. Sure. Have you guys seen The Intern? Yes, I actually uh, I I liked some of The Intern despite myself. You see, Robert De Niro can. He's got range. Cast anything to, into gold. He's got range. I didn't. I. I. What? It's I saw fifteen minutes, which that was the real schlock. It was like yeah. some sort of detective fireman, and he was just like oh, just <laughs> phoning it in. Some sort of detective fireman. Very good. Um, <laughs> the one thing I will say is that there's a really good podcast I'd recommend where it's. Um, I think it's called Talking Sopranos. And it's Steve Sharippa and Mike Limpiori who played um, who played Bobby Bacala and played uh, Christopher Moltisanti on The Sopranos, and they're just watching it for the first time and like reviewing each episode. It's really really funny. But what's really interesting is like Mike Limpiori is he's very like he doesn't uh, talk about people, he doesn't talk about celebrity gossip or people he worked with. He's just very polite and professional. Like oh yeah, they're really nice. Oh they're really nice. Steve Sharippa on the other hand, he just lets it known what he thinks of people. And he's like, De, Niro, De Niro's the worst. He's like, that guy wouldn't say hello to you if it wasn't written in a script. But then there was a little interesting thing that you'll appreciate, Sean. You know the guy All in right. Goodfellas who played Maury, who get, who's getting beaten up, you know? I want the money today, today, that guy. That was apparently Robert De Niro's landlord in real life. So presumably the reverse of that situation happened with the rent. There you are. A little, a little fun fact. All right, wrapping it up then with... Um, our ratings on the film's Irishness, do we rate it Faith or Bigora? I'm going to give it a Bigora. I think it's, as I say, a little shallow. I think their accents are bad. And while I think Ronan's a fantastic film, the Irish part of it, while interesting, does kind of, yeah, ring a bit hollow. What about you, Sean? Um, I think that... So, look at the Sean Bean character. You know, what's the colour of the boathouse at Hereford? So he's pretending to be, you know, something. And I think the fact that he's pretending to be something and no one's identity is quite fixed. But the Irish people, I think the fact that if you watch this movie and the Irish are just kind of as much as a character as the Russians, you know, the Russians have a mob, the Irish have a mob. Yeah. I think the fact that you don't even have to develop that just to have the Irish there and people understand what the Irish mean. Um, but I think that's actually a faith, just to kind of disagree with you, but also to say that I think that it's so part of popular culture that the Irish, you know, would be involved in these sort of things. Um, that I, I'm glad to see the Irish, you know, 
on the international. It's funny scale. you should mention that because when I was doing some review uh, research for this, I came across a great Irish website called CompleteCar.ie, where it's mostly like reviews of car parts. But somebody had decided to write a big long review of Ronan, specifically breaking down why the car chases were so good. Um, right. And he says, and I'll just quote from him here. The ending of the film is most satisfying for Irish viewers, not least because of the fact that the nation's favourite car, the Peugeot 406, comes out on top. After more chasing and a truly hilarious moment when Price, in his fake Northern Irish accents, accuses someone of being a stupid shite, Seamus gets shot by Vincent, and a news report later tells us that Seamus' death has led to an IRA ceasefire and the British and Irish governments have reached a historic agreement to bring an end to the war in Northern Ireland. So in addition to a very fine car chase movie, Ronan also gives us Irish viewers a large and rather funny dose of alternate history. It really is a film that rewards another watch. And uh, I kind of liked that. I felt it kind of did sum up not only my own feelings about Ronan, but, you yeah. know, some of the, the, the car details as well. I mean... Fuchsia. Yeah. Like when... When uh, Deirdre says to um, Seamus, you know, why, why did you kill Larry? Um, That's not bad. That was good. You know, it kind of showcases that, you know, even within their, their ranks, the IRA could be very inefficient. And they were actually infamous for being quite inefficient and there'd be confusion and accidents with homemade explosives. So Yeah, that's true. But then one thing I didn't think really rang true was the idea that they'd go to this much trouble for one weapon. Like I kind of thought the half of the weapons that they get in the very beginning within that, that trade-off, that would be quite successful. That's, it's true. Like, and I think that's part of the shallowness of it. If you think about like, but what would the IRA really, really want? That would fit into a suitcase. Like it's extremely hard to think of something that this weird bald man. They can make their own bombs. Like they've been making those for thirty years at that stage. Well, we're taking the film too seriously by even asking if the the Irishness is authentic. But just to follow through the thought, you know, I would argue that it's not. It doesn't ring true that they would be seeking out this one huge weapon because the tactic was sustained violence mm. so what they'd actually want is loads and loads of guns from the guys they mean at the beginning of the movie so i'm gonna give it a bagar yeah i'll also give it a bagar maybe it was like the other thing when it's not a macguffin it's like the knock list it's like the, li the the list of secret agents all around the world and that would be the kind of thing that everyone would want you know the russians would want and the ira would want and everyone would want to confirm stuff <laughs> Yeah, so it's why would the, well, like, what would the Irish and the Russians, I mean, what would they... Yeah, in that they, Venn diagram, what do they want, you know? Because the Russians don't want a bomb. They, I, they, they're shooting ballerinas for, you know... Maybe there actually were ice skates in the box. <laughs> Another, okay, interesting okay. thing. That's, that's the big mystery. What's in, in, the, what's in, the, what's in the box? <laughs> um, there what's in the box. Sorry. Um, who, who was the sniper? Who shot? Who was the sniper? That was that was that was another Ronan, a female Ronan, a Rona. She never misses. I know, but I thought it might have been Deirdre as a twist. You know that she was actually in league with Gregor the whole time. I would say that he probably shot that reveal, and then later was like, "Will I do that?" You know, like I, I'm not even. He can't even follow what's going on anymore. You know. I mean, he could have cast okay. a third woman, but that might have been too confusing. That would have been too many women, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> But it was like, she never misses. Uh, she never misses. And yeah. it's like, uh, you're setting someone up here. I mean, uh, there must be a reveal. And then you just hear from behind like two or three times. I thought that was part it's, of the like, there's so many of them out there. There's so many Ronins because every country has them and he's been working with her for years, you know. But yeah, I you're right. one of those threads that wasn't picked up. I thought it would have been nice. You're right. All right. It sounds like it's three Bagoras from all three of us then. No, Sean, Sean wanted to be contrary. Sean, okay, sorry. Sean won contrary faith. And I was a bit, you know, I had the pros and cons of both. But I agree. Like, it's not the worst. It's pretty good. No, that's Jonathan Price saying to Robert yeah, stupid shame. <laughs> I mean, that's fantastic. I did enjoy <laughs> that. that. Yeah, we all enjoyed that. We did enjoy <laughs> that. Oh. Yeah, I'd almost watch it again. Um, so yeah, I would strongly recommend watching Ronin, but would obviously not recommend, yeah, including the IRA just as random villains without um, much thought or depth. Yes, because unlike the Russians, they're 
you know, in every other movie where the Russians play the villains, they're you know, given so they're so fleshed out, aren't they? Yeah, that's that's probably true. But that's what I'm saying. I don't want that to happen. You know, I don't I don't want us to be become the Russians for these like silly movies. You don't want to make the IRA sympathetic. I think the fact that the IRA just becomes that's a sort of random true. criminal gang like they did become is is good. That is there. There is an argument for that, and I'm sure we'll get into it when we get into some of the more like the Patriot Games, as I say, and the Foreigner with um with Jackie Chan. Um, but yeah, we're we're nearly coming up to fifty episodes. So I was actually thinking for our next episode, we do one of the kind of films I probably had more of. Uh, sort of thinking this was what we do with a podcast rather than watching Ronan. I was going to suggest we do P.S. I Love You. Have either of you two seen that before? No, but I I knew there would be a day I would watch it. Yeah, I'm kind of similar. I haven't seen it before. It looks atrocious, but um, should be fun. Excited to learn more. Exactly. Alex, I, I think you're all wrong with your motivations there. I mean, you watched Ronan a couple of months ago and thought, let's just do Ronan for the pod. No, no, no. I watched it last year with my dad in France oh, yes. uh, after going to one of the towns, possibly Arles or something. And I was like, you know, this is where they shot Ronan. Well, you know, it's also where Vincent van Gogh spent the end of his life. I was like, and this is where Jonathan Price sat. <laughs> this is where Robert De Niro ran. <laughs> God, maybe it really is a dad movie. Look at this amphitheater. This is where they did the showdown. And this is also, you know, it's been here for 4,000 years. And this is where they shot Ronan. Yeah. One of the many showdowns in the movie. <laughs> the film movie's all showdowns. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to make a pun. Like when they say, it's called Arl. Is that a pun on like Arland? Maybe it's... No, it, the place. No, really it's a real place. We've been there. But that's where they're. That's why they chose to shoot it there. It's very beautiful. It's quite a picturesque town. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe it's good that Vincent could, you know. Oh, I know those Russian guys. Let's follow them. But you don't. You don't mind. That like, would be authentically Irish if all those Irish characters yeah. spotted each other. Ronan, what are you doing here? <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> the Irish version is just called Ronan. Yeah, just bumping into Ronans on your holidays. Just a bunch of forty-seven Ronans who Ronan? all got fired. Forty-seven Ronan. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> all right. On that note, I'm gonna play a extract from the soundtrack. As I say, it's by um, this Czech composer whose name is Ilya Simiro. And thank you again, Sean, for joining us for another episode of When Irish Eyes Are Watching. My pleasure. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Kleena. Thank you. Thank you.